0: Welcome to the Dr. Daff Show. I'm Dr. Daff, and today I have a remarkable guest with me, Ms. Tonier Kane. Tonier was sexually abused at the age of nine, which was followed by years of assault, neglect, and eventually 19 years of crack addiction, prostitution, homelessness, and rape. My
1: mother entertained a lot of different men. Every other night, they would bring her a bag of beer or a bag of liquor, and I would always hear her singing and laughing. But when I didn't hear my mother's voice anymore, I knew it was going to be soon that I would hear the footsteps of the men walk towards our bedroom door. And at age nine, when I would hear the footsteps, I would jump off the bed, stand in front of the door to protect my sisters and brothers. But in event, it made me available to the men. So there was a lot of molestations, a lot of sexual assaults.
0: She was arrested 83 times and convicted 63 times for possession, prostitution, check fraud, and more. As a result, Kane had three children taken by the state. In 2004, Tonier felt hopeless and dead inside. She had tried everything but God and found herself seeking him. While in prison and pregnant, she laid on her cell floor and cried out to God. She said her prayer was sincere and desperate. God, I don't know if you listen to people like me, but if you do, please help me.
1: So here I was in prison pregnant again. And I tried one thing that I would never really sincerely tried before. I laid on that concrete floor in my prison cell and I cried out to God. And I was like, God, I don't even know if you listen to people like me, but if you do, please help me. Please don't let them take this baby.
0: She then enrolled in a community program to heal and recognize trauma victims. It was during the program that she received mental health, substance abuse, and trauma treatment. Since then, she hasn't had a desire to do drugs or return to the street. In March of 2023, Tonier will celebrate 19 years free from drug addiction, alcoholism, street life, and prostitution. Today, Tonier is a living example of why you should trust in God and never give up hope. She gave her life to Christ, turned her life around, and now she speaks at prisons all over the country inspiring women. She started a nonprofit called Neen Cares Incorporated that provides intervention and support for those suffering from trauma like she once did. She has been featured in and produced her own documentaries and films on her story, written multiple books, and now owns a successful skincare line called Hope by Tonier, where proceeds help fund her nonprofit business. But through all of her accomplishments, Tonier is most proud of being a mother to her 20-year-old daughter, Orlandra, the one that she said inspired her that fateful day in prison to change her life. So I'm so delighted to welcome Tonier. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Your story just touched me so deeply. And the reason why is because my content on YouTube is for women who didn't have a mother to teach them how to be a lady, didn't have any mentors, women who grew up in environments that made them rough and angry. And I have no idea why the Lord has always given me a heart for these specific kind of women to teach them how to be ladylike, because I've never actually like met anyone who's been in that situation. So to hear your story and to know that, this is important work, re-inspired me in a time where I felt like, maybe people don't need this. And I'm just so, so touched and moved by what God was able to do in your life and what you're now doing for other women. Well, let me say this.
1: First of all, you don't know how much that's needed. So I think it's important that we understand people's background and don't take it for granted. And when I say that, I mean, like, I was almost 40 years old when I knew that I had to lift my breast to to wipe it. I was almost 40 years old when I knew how to properly clean myself and wash myself as a female. Wow. Because I really wasn't taught really all of it. My cousin taught me some of that, but as a woman, you know, as a teenager, young teenager, I, I learned some things. But as a woman, I really didn't know how to do that. And so you don't have... Any idea how important that is. And for a lot of the women that's in a situation that I was in and just don't know how.
0: Right. So thank God. Thank Bless God. you for that. Thank you so much. So I want to hear about your story. <laughs> I know that this is a story that started when you were very young. Mm-hmm. Okay? You were nine years old when you experienced your first trauma. But your story develops into being re-traumatized yes. as you got older over yes. and over and over again. So just bring this back to when you were nine years old, you were a little girl and you lived with your mother. And- my mother. Okay.
1: So at nine years old, um I had already experienced neglect and ab- abandonment. The abandonment came from my father. he was never in my life. But the neglect came from my mother. She's an alcoholic. She's always been an alcoholic and... She did not know how to nurture, love, and protect, and because of that, we were left alone to fend for ourselves a lot. I was, I still am, the oldest. Okay. At that time, at age nine, it was the seven of us. At, wow. Yeah, around seven of us, and um, I was the oldest. And my mother, she would just leave us sometimes, and we just have to really fend for ourselves a lot of times to eat and all of that. At age nine, I experienced my first sexual abuse. My mother would entertain a lot of different men. She would be partying and you would hear her singing and you know, laughing. But when the music stopped, I knew I was gonna start hearing the footsteps come towards our bedroom door. And at age nine, I positioned myself in front of the bedroom door to protect my brothers and sisters, but in the event, it made me available to the men. I brushed my teeth because I thought maybe I could brush away the smell of the men when they did the axe to my mouth. And it's, it's just, I just really never even understood back then how a grown man could hurt. So big, his body covered my own child's body, but... Because of the abandonment and the neglect, I had form a belief system that I am nothing to and I'll never amount to anything. And out of that I thought, well, maybe bad things happen to very bad people. And if this very bad thing has happened to me, that must mean I'm a very bad person. So I tucked it inside of me. So I went from the neglect and abandonment all of my childhood. And then at nine years old, here it is another trauma.
0: When you the have sexual abuse. When you had the sexual abuse. Were you able to share it with anyone at all? Well, again, because I'm
1: believing that this is something that you caused. I caused because I'm a bad kid. Right. So I, I don't want anybody to know how bad I am. So I'm going to tuck inside of me in a very mm. dark place. And you, when you live in a situation where you have a mother that is, she don't even know how to take care of me in the basic needs, right. you know? And if I tell her this, then she's going to, then I'm bad, and she really not gonna want to deal with me. So as a child, there's a lot of guilt, and you have to, you take on, you take it on because you really don't understand where it's really coming from mm-hmm. and why anybody would do that. Because to me, it was like, well, it's being done because I caused it. And um, so for me, having that now I'm I've had to neglect the abandonment, now there's sexual abuse and not being able to tell anybody. And then we were also, and then on. You know, I was, we call it bullying today. Okay. Back then, we called it teased, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Back then, I, I was teased because we were dirty and smelly and
0: filthy all the time.
1: And you went to school? And I like we went this? to school, and the kids would circle me, call me names, and, and tease me. And um, so it was a lot going on.
0: So at school, when the kids were teasing you and you were smelling, you didn't have teachers or anyone notice or were so many children in this situation that it was like the norm in the community. I think that,
1: you know, this was the public health system. Most of the kids were, you know, from the neighborhoods where for the most part they didn't think that the parents would even care or be involved. And, you know, the school system even to this day, mm-hmm. you know, is they overwork teachers, they overworked and underpaid, right? And now you want them to take on the the trauma of kids, right? And so it wasn't X. I always believe when I work with Department of Education now that we need to um, put more mental health providers in school. If we're going to put police officers there, you know, why not we have a budget for it? And take it... Because what's happening is now we're saying, what well, teachers should be looking out for this. Teachers should be... I think teachers should be referring it to the office. Like when a kid have a behavior problem, they refer it to the office, you know, and, and let the professionals handle it because... Teachers aren't equipped to handle trauma because you don't want to put them in a position where they are causing more harm because they don't know how to deal with it.
0: You're yeah, absolutely uh, right. Yeah. and i will I will tell you that I have worked as a school psychologist for ten years. Mm-hmm. So my background is in education yeah. is as a school psychologist. And that's exactly what teachers are now taught to do is to refer them. Straight to me. Don't right. try to have a conversation about it. Don't right. don't tell them your personal stories. Right. Just bring them to me. Right. And I have to then make that decision and call DCFS. Exactly. But the thing is, the issue that always comes up is the pain and the guilt of, I know that this child is being abused, but they don't want to leave their family. Did you experience any of that? I mean, no, they don't
1: want to. For the most part, they... They have to, though. They you have know? to. So what I understand is this. I understand it now, and as a trauma expert, but back then what was happening was my mother was so disconnected from the natural. It's so badly to reach out and hug her, but she wouldn't allow that. My mother won't allow us to do that. We're not even allowed to call her mom. She, We call her Barbara.
0: Any thoughts why? I know. You know, but I never really thought about it. Well, maybe being called mother imposed a responsibility that she didn't feel up to.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. It is not natural to carry a child for nine months and not love them, take care of them, and provide and do everything that you can do for your child. God created a woman to be nurturers and and love. I mean, just it's who we are. It's the womb. The everything in us is just instills that as a woman, a mother, um, transferred as a mother. So what's happening is whatever has happened to my mother has not been identified, dressed, and treated. It disconnected her from the natural. And we could talk about that a little, longer, little further in our conversation today when it disconnected me from my children. Oh, I to see. Be, you see what I'm saying? So when it got to the point where ch- my children need to be removed Thank you, Lord. And that's how it should be, you you know. And I know that the guilt is, for me, it should not be guilt. It's responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I get what you're saying, but these things must happen if they must happen. Now, there are circumstances where they don't have to happen, Mm -hmm. where we should be putting more services into the family. Mm -hmm. We should be providing more life support for them. And so, but when we don't do that and we snatch and place and a child's life and as state in harm's way, mm-hmm. we got to understand this. This is where I always when I'm training providers I tell I tell them this. If we're going to protect the child Physically, should we not protect them emotionally and psychologically? Because children are so disregarded in that snatch and placement process. See, once you make your call, Mm -hmm. the state takes it over and children are disregarded heavily in that process. Because they're not being prepared for what's going to happen every step of the way. So again, they're taking on more guilt, you know, and so a lot of Are you saying the children are taking on more guilt? Yes, because they're not being, so when I was taken away from my mother, I'm like, what did I do? Well, what age were you when you were taken away? We were 11. I was 11. I was 11 and I had a sibling that was still in Pampers.
0: Wow. And so was this someone at your school that reported it? Or was it someone in the community?
1: It was a collection of things. A collection. Well, it wasn't the school because if it was the school, they
0: should have done it way earlier. (laughs) Well, I will tell you now that in the school systems, we are mandated reporters. So at this point in time now, if we see anything that's suspicious, we do need to report it. And we do. And for me personally, even though I felt bad about doing it because of how the child was feeling, I still did it with ease. It was more of the... The, the school system, the teachers that would also feel really bad about it, but I would have to explain to them what you just explained, yeah. that unfortunately, yes, they are going to be removed from their siblings, but this is going to help them because what they're experiencing now is not okay. And we don't get to control right. what happens to them. Right. And you, and
1: and unfortunately, you, you can't control what happens after, once they're in the system. And, you know, so as system is not... Proactive, they reactive. So they're coming in and trying to fix something that they could have provided services to prevent. Exactly. And so if we had more of that, now this was a culture where there wasn't any psychologists okay. at the school. There were school counselors that counseled too. come on. What? Right. And there was a lot of principals. that uh, you gotta, you know, you got all these people that's in these, you have these authority figures to children. Right. Children are being abused at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, why would we think children would feel safe? to talking about it to authority figures. Uh-huh. If you got authority figure at home that's supposed to love you, right. and now you're in the school and you got authority figures that they're not supposed to love you, mm-hmm. how are we expecting them to disclose and trust?
0: That is very you know, difficult. So it's up to you. We have to up do to, it. Right. So I have to go into the classrooms, every single classroom, and let them know if someone is hurting you. If you want to talk to someone, if you're sad, please yeah. come and see me. And you know what? Every time I did it, my there would be a line outside of my office yeah. of children that wanted to see me. Because they needed that invitation. And they needed someone that they could trust it and that was safe. warm. And they can tell. Children can tell who Absolutely. really cares and who doesn't. Absolutely. So for so, you, yeah. you were nine years old, you had your first sexual trauma, mm-hmm. and you felt the shame. After that, did you experience more sexual trauma as a child or more abuse as a child what before more 11? Yes.
1: Oh, yes. So much more abuse. Every step of the way was another level, level of trauma. Because, okay, I'm going from the neglect to abandonment, and now I'm going to have to the sexual abuse, Right. And then now at age 11, I'm being taken away from my mother. So now that's this disconnect where I'm being disregarded. Because instead of, and this is the thing, when the state takes over, you're not getting, for the most part, we weren't having our fears validated. Like no one was like, you must be scared out of your mind. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I was. Mm -hmm. And prepare, well, I'm about to take you to a total stranger's house. Right. They don't tell you that. They just drop you off to a total stranger's house. And um, you don't even know. And then you end up sitting on a wooden bench at court to hear the judge tell your mother all these awful things about herself. And so I went, went through that, that foster care for a short period of time, which was traumatizing because, you know, in the, my familiar world, I'd learned how to protect myself the best way I could. In the unfamiliar territory, I didn't know what was coming. Mm. It was terrifying. I see what you're saying. And instead of them helping us process it, they sent me to school like nothing ever happened. And they start to get reports like this she's unable to focus. Oh, yeah. She doesn't keep up with the class well. That's Where what comes you next. We have some learning. No. Yeah. No. So now you got a bunch of kids you're trying to push into special ed because yep. you did not address, not you, but the state did not address. They disregarded the child. Yes. My mother's an alcoholic. She's always been an alcoholic. And sometimes she would leave the household two and three days at a time. Well, finally, at age 11, somebody thought that something was truly wrong in that household. Because we were always looking out the windows, but we weren't allowed to play. My mother wouldn't allow us outside because she didn't want anyone to know what was going on in that, in that apartment. Well. Somebody thought that was wrong. And they called the Department of Social Services. And when social service came into the household and seeing the conditions we were living in, they immediately removed us from that household and put us into foster care. Well, we ended up going to court. And I remember the court day. I was excited because I was seeing my brothers and sisters. And she was, they, you know, we were on a pew. And at, in the front, my mother was there. She was crying. She was real upset. And sitting beside her, y'all, I don't know where they found him at with my father. He was sitting there. Not to say I'm going to take my kids home with me, but to give reasons why he wasn't. So nine family members was allowed to choose each and every one of them. And I ended up with my cousin. And she was a nurturing and good person. And then I ended up with my cousin at age 11. And I stayed with her. It was a wonderful time. And that's when I started to go to church. Because oh, okay. I didn't know. Up until that point in my life, there was no church. Then I started to go to church. And um, and it's funny because she was sent to church every Sunday. She rarely went church, but we went. And and I remember at age 12, the church told me I had to get baptized. You had to. And I said, why? <laughs> I wanted to know why. Oh, because you're 12. Oh. And it's so... so <laughs> So apparently, because Jesus uh-huh. left his parents to go in the temple and started to preach, that's when churches started to believe that children <laughs> should be responsible for their, for, for their, for, the, yeah. for their spirituality. That's and, why. And, and it's just another one of those things that's happening in our, um, in our churches that is, that's so disconnected from truth.
0: Yes it should be self-led.
1: It should be and 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 it should be taught, you know, very very early on. You know, if you're going to have a child go down in the water, mm-hmm. they need to know why. Exactly. We still in Sunday school, you can't keep teaching those little cartoon Jesus stories. You know what I mean? Was, Why? Why not? Well, right? Because at age twelve, you're telling them they need to be responsible for their spirituality. Now you need to be start talking about lamentation. Oh, oh yeah, serious <laughs> you know, stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. right? But they don't wear you. They don't switch it over. But then they telling you you got to be baptized, and you, there's no explanation for it. It's true. So they, people aren't. We really we know that there's a God, mm-hmm. but not really understanding that Jesus
0: is God. And who God is and why and you, need God why, you I, need God. why do you need right. Him?
1: So, so <laughs> yeah. I had that experience. Okay, okay. I, I got baptized. They got up. They said the Lord's Prayer. And I don't know one word of our Father. That was it. Okay. And everybody, at a certain point of the service, they start to do the Our Father's Prayer. And as Jesus taught us to pray, but again, not even understand why that prayer was important. So that was my first introduction. My second introduction to the church was doing probably my next trauma. So she came up with this great idea that one of her drinking buddies who thought I was cute, he was 24, I was a child basically, wanted to marry me. What was that? An opportunity to make my mother proud of me once again. I jumped on it. I'm, I'm walking down the aisle. She signed the papers. I didn't even have to be there because I was a minor. So I moved, so I'm married. I'm married, and my mother's living with me. And my husband would come home, and he would do like this. And if it was dust on his finger, he wanted to know, what was I doing all day long that I could not dust his house? Well, there was many beatings because I didn't dust his house.
0: Mm. How old were you when you got
1: married? I met him when I was 16. My mother signed the papers when I was 17 to marry him. So your mother... Allowed you to marry him? Yeah, it well, someone... I, couldn't, yeah, I couldn't sign it. I was a minor.
0: Was it someone that you wanted to marry?
1: As Someone, I, I, you know, for me, I thought he could protect me from all the other bad men of the
0: world. But if you were 16
1: mm.
0: and he was how old? 24. 24. How did he even find you? Or why would he want someone how did so young? How would so, he want someone so young? At age
1: nine, I started to kind of steal, start to steal drinks around that age. And I never stopped stealing drinks. So by age 15, I was an alcoholic. Okay. So after I stayed with my cousin, I went back to my mother at age 14 to try to. I believe that I could go back to her at age 14 and be prepared to deal with her. Oh. Because I'm older now. I experienced some things I can handle. Yeah. But nothing changed. And she she we had this episode where she beat me in front of everybody in the community. I ran away, and I took a bottle of pills, tried to kill myself, because at age 14, I thought that was my only solution. I couldn't be with my mother, and I loved my mother. I love my mother, as children do. I I desperately need my mother to love me. Sometimes I will be tired and don't want to get high, but she want to get high, so I would go out and prostitute so she could get high. Just see if she could love me. I thought that I had to earn her love. And I thought if I go out and prosecute for some drugs, she'll be proud of me. And, she, and you know, and she would use the drugs up and get mad because there's no more. And, um, but that's how I always ended up with her. I how much? How much you need? One we're <laughs> how much? Yeah. Like, going to get. Dollars, how Yeah. Like, that's I'm going to give you. I know what you're going to get. I'll get her. A big one. This time, be going, because I'm going out. But I took the bottle of pills. They didn't ask me why in the hospital. My mother gave them, uh, told them I took an accidental overdose, which was a lie. And they released me back to her. So she sent me to live with her sister. But she did the best she could. By age 15, I was an alcoholic. I, in order to be in school all day, I'm sipping on gin and juice all day long.
0: And no one could smell it on your breath.
1: I'm pretty sure. I they mean, didn't ask. Right. You know, um, I wasn't the only one drinking it in high school. You know, I yeah. we smoked weed and drank every morning at the bus stop. And I asked my my aunt, I said, you know, I want to get a part-time job. And I got a part time job at this pizza parlor. And my manager, my ex husband, my husband that the, that I married, that was her brother. Okay. So when we would shut down the pizza parlor, every night he would come in and we were just allowed to pull pictures and pictures and pictures of beer and just drink. So one day he told her that he thought I was cute. And that's all it took. When you was teased all your life and, and you think you're ugly because you've been called ugly by your mother, you've been laughed at by kids, and you got this guy to call you cute, and okay, you know. So it's I don't think that I really look towards him as a husband more so as a father. A father to protect you from right. all of the things that were happening um, to you. Right. And so, but then he he was one of my worst predators because he would just beat me in. So, but, you know, again, something's wrong with me because he was the golden boy at church.
0: Really? Yes.
1: Oh, he was the eligible bachelor, his father on the big, trucking company his father was a kingpin nobody knew about it at the time but owned a business he lived at a house you know what I mean he was on the men's choir he still with the altar boy at 20 some years old he got in his little teeny white robe and lighting candles
0: and and
1: everybody just loved him at church mm.
0: so you felt real special when he said yeah I felt pretty. special
1: but you know but I also felt like if if nothing's wrong with him, because everybody's treating him like he's like this golden boy, this golden man, the golden child, and him beating me—that's just that's how it's supposed to be. I see. Now, and it goes back to watching my mother being beaten all the time. You know, it's just what it is, what it is. You know, and um, and so he he did that. You know, and he he would take me out. To a club and dress me up like a doll baby and put me on the bar and just sit back. And, and, and if, if a man come and talk to me, I will, he would beat me later on. And he was just, yeah. And that's how he was when he drank. When he was sober, I see why people could see what they saw. Okay. But behind closed doors, they, they had no idea. And so my second introduction to the church was through because of him. And here he was, the golden boy. But at night he's drinking and beating. You know what I mean. So okay, well, this is real confusing. Right? And that's and that's God's boy, right? You know what I mean? And so um, yeah, I I went through that, and um, and that was and when he finished with me, as a result of punishment, he took our son away from me, and um, sent him out of state. And that's how I ended up in the streets for 19 years.
0: How old were you when you had your son? 18. You were 18. So he took his son from you for what reason?
1: Well, he had good... Re- well, I I, be- I believe he believed he had good reason. And, and he, it probably was best because I never stopped drinking. And and I still didn't understand my trauma. Mm-hmm. So when somebody introduced me to snorting coke, I snorted, started snorting coke and...
0: I didn't have a job, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So, was the coke how you were coping with him beating you? The coke was how I was coping with everything. everything. <laughs> okay, everything, you know. So that was your that was your answer. Once, yeah, introduced and to you. And, um,
1: and I tell people today, you know, and because I keep it real, mm-hmm. cocaine was the best thing could have happened to me. Age nineteen, somebody came to me and said, "Try this," and it was crack cocaine. I ain't get no beatings dust dusting the house no more. Because after one hit a crack, I cleaned my house. I went upstairs, cleaned the neighbor's house. I was outside washing everybody's cars. Shoot, I ain't get that beaten no more.
0: Tell me something about cocaine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What What's the good part of it?
1: What's the good part of a crack of cocaine? It's a number. It absolutely, positively numbs out any feeling you have, only for a few seconds. That's why you gotta keep doing it again and again. But there is no concern. So, I mean, I took, I used to take a hit of crack cocaine and I used to get high on the fact that I had it in my hand. It didn't even get in my system yet. But because I know in the next few seconds, I'm going to be somewhere else and I don't have to
0: deal with reality.
1: Cocaine stopped me from trying to continuously take my life. Oh, it, it numbed you. It numbed me. Now, I don't suggest people go out there and start doing coke because of some course. people don't live through it. Some people don't live through it. Wow. But for me, it was what kept me alive until I surrendered to God. Wow. It was the best thing that could happen to me at that time. Now, there were some bad circumstances came out of that. Like, as a result of living in the streets for 19 years, I was on drugs. I was prostituted. I was doing all those things that the streets you are required to do in the streets
0: to stay alive. And, um. yeah. When you say that you were in the streets, when he kicked you out of the house, mm-hmm. where did you go? Did you just say, I'm going to go live on this block and just lay here? You know, weren't you afraid of, of someone coming to, to harm you? I mean, how did you... At, at, after, I had gotten to the point where I had been beat and raped so
1: many times, I stopped counting them. You're not worried about what happened to you. You just expect it to happen to you.
0: When did the arrests begin for you? Soon when I hit the streets at age 19. <laughs> and why were you getting arrested?
1: Um, just for prostitution, getting caught with drugs, mm-hmm. you know, all, all the things. The things come that come with. in the street. Yeah, the co- things that come along with it. Well, this, this one particular day I had... Um, I had made a deal with these two guys, and they had had like a massive amount of crack. And I went to them, I said, well, you know, they they was trying to talk to me to get me to, you know, do some sexual things Well, I said, well, if you give me this amount of drugs, I'll do this, 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 and this. Well, I thought it was a good negotiator, but (laughs) I guess I wasn't, because when we were going behind this building, they started to talk among themselves. And when we got back there, they were saying, well, we're not going to give you anything, but you're still going to do this, 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 and this. And after they did that, they beat me really bad. They stomped me, spit on me, and when I and, and they left, you know, when I was able to get up and get around here, it was an officer stand. I'm standing against his car, and when he see me, I, I was walking to him, and I was I was in a lot of pain, and I was when he see me, he was like, Miss Kane, we've been looking for you. Because I had a failure to appear worn out, I was trying to tell him that these two guys that's walking past us laughing at me just did this to me. He thought I was trying to, I guess he thought to run off, and he thought I was resisting. So when he grabbed me, he grabbed my arm and put it behind my back and threw me against the car, which cracked my nose
0: open. So I had a friend when I was in high school whose mother was um, addicted to drugs. She was smoking crack, and she actually had him in jail. She was in and out of jail. And it was so sad because she met her son on the streets because as a little boy, he grew up without his mom in this environment. He ended up selling Coke crack. He sold it to her. And when she said, oh, you're so cute. What is your name? He told her his name. She's like, you know what? That's my son's name. That's how she met him. And as the years went on, I remember she ended up Passing away, she ended up dying yeah. in the middle of the street yeah. from crack cocaine. Some
1: people don't make it. Some a people don't people, make it.
0: Lo- it. a lot of people don't make it. Not only
1: do they, because not only just from death, but incarceration, mental health, you start to have these mental breakdowns, you know? And so um, God always had his hands on me.
0: He did. He did. Because you were in and out of jail, but I remember the reason why I brought that up was because I remember his mother telling me that... When she was in jail that was her safe space it was a rescue it was a rescue that's where she understood the routines she knew the girls she ate she ate she slept right yeah. was your experience and it was not like that for you in the detention center i was I had suicide watches
1: and and um and because i i wouldn't stay on my medications that they pres- the psychiatrist prescribed to me they would put you in um, they'll put you in segregation, then they strip you down because you you know, you suicide. You you're nude. So you got the male officers coming around flashing the lights. Why you in here? Nude, no mattress, no clothes, and you have male officers that's coming in checking, laughing at you. Lay down spray your legs open. And that was at the, my experience with the county jail. Yeah. Or they would do things like mm, you had a couple of them that would open up the slot and they would put their penis through so you can give them some head, and they would give you, like, a cigarette or something. So the men was able to to do things without being watched, and they could hear the door open. So they would, you know, put their penises through, through the little slots. Give them some head, I'll give you a cigarette. I'll give you some gum. Yeah. Well, I know, girl, but it's just... Give us some
0: tissue.
1: and that was one of the earliest experiences of my incarceration and you did things because and not only not you even know if it was because they was, was promising you cigarettes or nothing but just because they, somebody was there for a moment you know so yeah yeah, those are experiences of being in, in seclusion or the hole at the jail you know that's all the things that came with that and there wasn't any therapy, because when the, the psychiatrist come, he just gave you more and more medication. So I'm in the streets at age 19, and because I'm getting all these arrests, I end up going to court. They end up sending me to a drug program. First time I was ever in a drug program, I was court-ordered, and I got raped by a drug counselor. So my story doesn't stop at things that happened to me in the streets or by people that was familiar to me. Things were happening to me by people that was supposed to help me. And so at age 19, I'm going into the correction facility, well, the substance abuse facility, and I get raped. Then I go on corrections, and they're giving me psychotropics because now I'm being diagnosed mentally ill, not really. They just misdiagnosing me because what they see is symptoms of my trauma, not really, you know, right. conditions of a mental illness. Right. But they don't understand that. And so and then I'm being sexually abused by the officers. So it was like everywhere as
0: I was going, people was hurting me. Right. And you so, had no one to tell right. this to because they right. probably would just write you off, right? right. So my
1: safest place was on the streets. On the streets. Because I knew how to maneuver and control the streets. Even though I got raped on the streets, I knew that I would be able to get something to help me to numb from that. In prison I couldn't. So streets was the best what I thought at that time was the best place for me. And yes, I got three hats in a cop. Yeah. But being That wasn't the- a requirement of my in that point in my life. That wasn't
0: okay, that wasn't important to you. That wasn't important to me. Being in situations where you were being raped this often, mm-hmm. were you coming across diseases, pregnancies, and the, just the misfortunes that come from?
1: I have every last child after my oldest child was a result of prostitution or rape. I have five kids. Oh. Only my oldest child, my young, even my youngest, she was. I was tricking with somebody I knew. That was a form of prostitution. Every child after my first child Mm -hmm. was as a result of rapes
0: or prostitution. Oh, that just breaks my heart. Being as a woman who has gone through this situation when you were pregnant, knowing that this was a result of a rape, how did you feel during the pregnancy? Did you still love your baby? Did you still want to have your baby? Uh, or was it... I was disconnected you, you... from the natural. You were completely disconnected. You were Just, just like I said with my committed. mother there. So, but I wanted to. But you wanted to but keep the baby? And I wanted to love the baby. You wanted to love
1: the baby. Did I want to keep him? Yeah. But I wanted more than anything to love my child more than I love the drug or the streets. But I knew that without the drugs mm-hmm. I had to breathe and for me it hurted to breathe. That's how much that's how much pain and suffering I had inside of me. Mm-hmm. It hurt. So I'm going give you this story. This is how dark my world was. My oldest daughter I have my youngest daughter she's 18. The one I raised. Okay. I didn't raise any of my other children. I have a daughter she's 33. I did drugs the whole time I was for, and, but I did drugs a different way. I did my cocaine. I shot it the whole time I was pregnant. That's the only, 1989 was the only year I ever shot drugs. I don't know why this year. I just, this year I shot drugs and then I stopped. I don't know. I just stopped shooting and went back to crack. I, didn't, for, I just, because the crack wasn't enough for me anymore. I needed a main line.
0: While you and, were, were, and this is
1: while you were pregnant, I was seven months pregnant with my daughter, out prostituting one night. This I docked my world, world. While you were pregnant, out prostituting, this guy picked me up. Oh he God. takes me to his house. In the midst of the intercourse, my water broke. Oh my goodness! He gives me ten dollars, and put me out of his house. This is how docked my world was during that time. I walked from his house with the fluids from my baby's sack, running down my legs to walk to a shooting gallery. A shooting gallery. For those that don't know what it is, it's a hole in the wall where you go and sit on the floor, sit on the sofa, sit on something filthy and dirty and wait till somebody come to put a hype in your arm.
0: So you weren't even... Interested in going to the hospital? Like you, you were so disconnected. So disconnected. But that's all you were thinking he about was the drugs. Went over with fluids running
1: down my legs, getting the ten dollars worth for drugs in my system, and then I make it to the hospital. So you ended up eventually getting to a hospital. Yeah, and I give birth to a five pound baby. Regardless, she still was five pounds. And she had drugs in her system, and rightfully so, they were, they took her away from you.
0: Of course. But when they took her away from you, what did they do for you? Exactly.
1: And so they put me in jail. They put you in jail. They put me in jail. Okay. And so that's how dark my world was. So it, it wasn't even a question of keeping them. But I did want to love them.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I had this thing inside of me that maybe one day, somehow, some way, I'll be able to.
0: You had some hope. Some hope, a
1: glimmer of hope. Just a little bit, yes. Yeah. And so that's what's my world. And it, I got used to the rapes. I got used to being raped. After somebody raped me and beat me, I Take the dust off and go back to the block. I got used to drug dealers taking bats and almost breaking every bone in my body because I happened to stumble upon their
0: stash. I got used to that. I did. Did you have anyone that you were connected to on the streets? Like I was connected friends? to everybody. They were connected to Oh. You were connected to they were connected to you. Got it. <laughs> I was trying to be connected to everybody because I'm trying right. to get mine, right? Right.
1: But what I could not get used to is somebody taking my child out my arms, walking away, never for me to see them again. There's no drugs out there that take away that pain. I tried them all. So I lived like that for 19 years.
0: 19 years. On the streets. On the streets. 19 years. I watched your documentary, Healing Neen. Mm-hmm. Neen is like your nickname, right? My middle name is Deneen. Deneen. So everybody called me Neen. Okay. And you shared the area that you were sleeping in. It was under a, a bridge, bridge mm-hmm. full of rocks. Yes. And that was like you were the place that you felt the most safe and comfortable yeah, and at yeah. peace.
1: Sleeping on the streets, underneath the bridge, eating out of a trash can. Not even having the desire to live anymore. Five years ago, I didn't think that anybody could help me. And this is the bridge. This is the bridge. I'll go down and see. Jay, we're about to come down here and do some filming, so you might not want to be doing what you're doing. Home for so long, for so many years. I just remember just hearing the cars, the cars going over top of me. That would have brought memories back because I would lay here and I could hear the card. and in a way that gave me some peace because you know that people is there up there. Um, it was like you know how you hear crickets. Some people hear crickets at night, and they excuse them soothes them and, and put them into a peaceful sleep. Oh, hear the card. It just was all just mud and sand, and they put these bricks here, I guess, to stop people from sleeping underneath And now they have nowhere else to go. But just a little less than five years ago, I was sleeping under here. Just taking a hit of crack. Prostituting. When it comes to a point where we feel safer underneath a bridge, a filthy, dirty bridge, where we're exposed to violence and rapes and everything, when it's safer out here, it's a problem with that. There's a problem. I felt safer right here than anywhere else other than just in jail. And that's same
0: for 19 years. That's where I went. And, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where when I saw your mugshots, because you, you had how many arrests during that time? 83. 83. I saw the, your mugshots and you looked like someone that people would definitely be walking the opposite oh, direction absolutely. from if absolutely. they saw you on the absolutely. street,
1: and and and, and rolling it. and even pulling up in their big cars to go in their churches and shaking their head and disgusting. city saying, "Come on in"? What? Yes. I'm actually
0: surprised the church
1: didn't try to really? help you. Are you really surprised? I'm actually surprised. No, really. Are you surprised? Seriously. I mean, are you really surprised in the churches uh, that we have today? I just that somebody. You that can ride up and park inside outside the great big church with their great big cars and their great big hats and see somebody like me. Are you truly surprised? Because that's happening. That's happening. There's a, the pastors are preaching to the same people over and over again. 20 years later, my sister, mama, grandma oh, is girl. still sitting. She ain't got it yet, <laughs> pastor. <laughs> And she ain't got us, you ain't doing something right. Right. And so there is an obligation that the church should have to people like me in the streets. Your churches is in the communities of the people that's in the streets. And I remember getting beat on the steps of a church. No one asked me to come inside. No one was saying, Jesus loves you. They would say, girl, you need to get your life together. What? Excuse me, you need to get your soul together, ma'am, because I know the Bible ain't telling you that.
0: That is awful. That is, that, I mean,
1: we are not living in the first generation of churches. We live in a glorifying
0: ourselves type mm-hmm. of churches. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's y- women like you, people like you, are the ones who needed it the most. And, and if not church, at least the Spirit of God in people to help you. I mean, that's that's what we go there for. But God knows everything because the Word of God said He was going to raise
1: people such as me to fool the wise. That's
0: right. <laughs> That's right.
1: The same people I remember the last time I was in prison. So we so let's get to to that. So I'm on the streets for 19 years. Eating out of a trash cans, <laughs> prostituting.
0: Were you let me just interrupt you for a second because I've seen people doing this, eating out of trash cans literally right after someone dumps their nachos in the trash. Well, I had selective trash. Okay. Yeah.
1: I have selected trash. I wasn't like eating out like anybody trash. Can. I wasn't in the I would not dumpster dive man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I've but seen it.
1: I've seen it. No, no, no. So, so what I would do is a lot of times you know I would see people. You know we got the chicken boxes. Okay. Chicken box places on the corners. Right. I just watch people go get their chicken box, eat what they want oh. out of it, and dump it, and then I go get it because you know. Yeah. But still, you said but still. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, but still, I ain't doing that, do I you? <laughs> the you were, but hey.
0: It's one of those things where I've seen women, there's one lady I can think of right now in my community that looks almost exactly like your mugshot. And I've seen her walking, but she's talking to herself. And mm-hmm. mind you, I'm a doctor fully trained mm-hmm. in psychology. I'm in Christ, but with the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit whether it's on a psychological level with her soul, on a spiritual level with her spirit, I know I can help her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When I see her, I want to go up to her. I don't want to just give her money. But there's this, like, fear in me of not knowing what to say, what to, what to do. What would you suggest? What did you need at that time? What did you want a stranger to do to you or help you with? I mean, you know— because you think about the safety piece. You know? Yeah. Well, everybody always say that. Everybody say, well, Tonya, what
1: do I say? Yeah. What would you want somebody to say to you if you were— What What do you want somebody to say to you when you having a hard time? When you go to your, your sisters in Christ, your brothers in Christ, you want them to say, Jesus loves you. Right. I see you. Right. I'm here. You know, nobody's asking everybody to become somebody's therapist mm-hmm. on the streets. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? I don't expect you go down there and pull out your gopher, Right. <laughs> now, let's talk about this. What's on your mind? And tell me about your childhood. Right. No, people want to be seen mm-hmm. and people want to feel safe. And just acknowledging that you see her, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I see you. Um, Jesus love you and I love you. You know, you matter. You that's, know, that's good. That's enough. Yeah, that's enough. You know, I ain't nobody telling you come on, get in. I know. I'm thinking like you, the like next, you next level. Got to get in the car and all. <laughs> no, <and> because <all>, <laughs> when I ride down the avenue, I people I know mm-hmm. can't get up in my ride. <laughs> you know what I mean? I pray for you. Let me know when you ready to <laughs> go treatment.
0: I got you. Right.
1: But you ain't getting up in here. Uh-huh. You know.
0: I think people are afraid. Well. Because they don't know what to expect. What if this person tries? What if they're not mentally stable? And what if they try to attack me? I mean, I know it sounds crazy to think about it that way, but why do so many people walk past this girl in my neighborhood and do that? Like, just like you say, fear. And it's like, I mean, how, my thing is
1: how long you want to be Jonah? Hmm. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I you know. <laughs> when do we stop being Jonah and 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 start really understanding who God is? First of all, if it's your time to go, mm-hmm. it's your time to go. <laughs> if right. God chose that woman to to take you out, so be it. He, he, <laughs> that's what he she was supposed to do because uh-huh. the. Deaf angel comes from God. Make no mistake sure. about it. Satan don't have that type of power.
0: Does not. Lord gives so away.
1: we spend so much of our time saying, I want to do this, but I don't know what they might do to me. Can nobody do to you anything that God would not allow them to do? Your life is already predestined. Only you can change that. Amen. You know, and it's like, we, we submit our lives to God. And say, hey, Some people say, I, I die to Christ Jesus every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I go down to the water in my mm-hmm. spiritually every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but live with fear. Yeah, no, that's, that's powerful. There's a soul you're right. that you're avoiding because you are fearful. Mm-hmm. But God says that you cannot operate. In faith and fear, you will actually avoid a soul mm-hmm. belongs to God because of your fear. And I get, I get it. Mm-hmm. But we got to stop com- allowing what we see mm-hmm. to impact us. To impact us and understand it's the unseen that we should be led by. Mm-hmm. How do you know that's not an angel? See, my thing would be, I thought about that too. My yeah. thing would be <laughs> I remember the angels coming, and people ain't acting right yeah, and and what happened? the whole town got was destroyed destroyed.
0: <laughs> it yeah. got destroyed no, you're right, but you're right, you don't know, you never know, but this is the thing that is God's daughter, I know, I know. and seeing that photo just really convicted me. And I think what happened was the week before, I had seen another woman who was in a very similar situation outside of Starbucks. And I was walking, it was dark, and I knew she was hungry. I All I had on me was a $50 Visa gift card. And I walked up to her and I said, I was nervous, okay? But I said, you know, I just want to give you this. I pray that it helps you. I hope you can get some food. And she said, who is it from? And I thought it was a weird question. I'm like, what do you mean was it from? And I was like, it's from Jesus. You know, He loves you. And she said, I don't want it. Okay. And I think that situation kind of made me a little bit, like you said, a little fearful of like approaching the next person. And but like you said, I was leading more with like, here, let me give you something versus the words and the love and just the encouragement. So the
1: Bible, so the Bible tells us everything. That- you know, I love the Bible. I, I know, do. me too. He tells us to shake the dust. I know. Turn the you put, <laughs> you're no longer you're no longer accountable now. Mm-hmm. But see, the thing that I think that you're missing in all of this mm-hmm. is even when you don't know how, it's one thing you do know how to do. Pray. Yes. You ain't got to even go to them. And then How I often are you stopping and you reaching mm-hmm. your arm out mm-hmm. towards them and just pray. just pray all day long? Sometimes then I'm right, every, oh my goodness, I don't know. One day, because every time I see an ambulance, I'm, I'm I as Lord, you know, I'm praying for that person the ambulance. One yeah. yeah. day was so many ambulances. One day, I said, Lord. <laughs> what's going on? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm driving. And I'm like, every, every <laughs> time, I'm trying to listen to some music. and Here come another ambulance. That's okay, Lord, I'm turning down. But the yeah. thing is, we are required to do that. We are. We are required. We, we are required. Pray for them. If you don't, okay, tell God, deal with your spirit on that. hmm hmm Ain't no demon out there can touch you. They're, so, I told you I went to a church last night. I told you I went to Revelation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he talked about how God, in Genesis, God had talked about what would happen between Eve and the serpent. Yes. Moving forward. Okay. He said she would crush his head. Yes. And he will bruise her heel.
0: hmm
1: You get that? Uh, oh, yeah. We, we have power. Oh, yeah. But they
0: can only... Try yes. to destroy. Yes. And that's, an, that's so important. The enemy don't have enough power
1: to destroy us. Mm-hmm. We have the power to crush the enemy, but they can only prove, they can only try. Amen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we got to live in that. You have, You have the power in you that can transform that woman's life. I do. By just speaking it in her life. Yeah. You know why? Because you have the power of God in you. You have the same power in you that spoke the whole universe to be.
0: Amen. That's and it's it's so true. And that's why it's just been sitting on my heart. I'm like, no. Next time I need to stop what I'm doing because I do have that power. You have the power.
1: You have so much. You have the same power in you that split the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. You have the power to change her life. And you're withholding it. And God, have whatever I'm on this show for, I don't know, but it's it got everything to do with this young woman now.
0: I think so, because what you just said right now was like, the Lord just spoke right through you. I literally had a dream that I have been trying so hard to get the answer to. And what you, you just said right power. now was like,
1: Speak it over her life. Every time you see her, Amen. you're delivered. You're healed. You will have victory. You will be a mighty vessel for God. He will use this for his glory and for your good. Speak the word over her life because heaven and earth will pass away, but the word will never. You have the power in you to change her life. Amen. It belongs to you right now.
0: that's real. Now, where did you get your strong connection to God? Because you went from literally... Feeling like the church doesn't love me. I don't know God. And now looking at you speak, you are so confident in the power of God. Because God
1: did for me what He did for Saul when he was on the road of Damascus.
0: Explain that to those who don't know. Who don't know this is even Paul said, I was taught by Jesus himself. So Paul was a person that was murdering Christians. Murdering
1: Christians. I was gun ho on murder, not just and so. And Paul was somebody that was strong on the law. Mm-hmm. Paul wasn't somebody, he wasn't a, a murderer. He wasn't, a, he was, he believed what he was doing, God wanted him to do. Can't. He could not really understand mm-hmm. the prophecies. As smart as he was with the law. Yeah. And so when Jesus came, because the, the the Pharisees, which we have modern days, the ones that <laughs> shake your head going into the churches, the modern day Pharisees, I call them. But Paul is expecting the Savior to come in glory. Mm-hmm. He expected the Savior to come in a different way. In a different way. Can. and and But that's not what the Word of God... That's not what the... The prophecies has prophesied. Mm-hmm. That's not what they... And so when God decided... To take Saul to Paul, transform his life, mm-hmm. he had to teach Paul himself because of the work he had for him. Okay. He could not—he had to be retrained. He had to be retaught in a way that only God can do it. And that's what God did for me. I didn't go to a whole bunch of Bible studies to understand the Word of God. I just asked God to show me.
0: So how did that happen? Where, where were you when you asked prison. God to show
1: you? I was in prison pregnant with my daughter. And I cried out, pregnant in prison.
0: What is it like being pregnant in prison?
1: You are the worst of the worst. And when I said that, I mean, because when you're pregnant in prison, they treat you like the worst of the worst. I'm telling you, you are like, oh, look at you. That don't (gasps) make sense. Don't make sense. Like the inmates or the staff? The staff. The the staff. Everybody. Everybody. Okay. Okay. And um, I was pregnant with my daughter. And this was almost 19 years ago. I was pregnant, and I tried everything else sincerely and before I tried to take my life. Because I knew that this time I had to go back to trying to kill myself because yet again I'm having another child removed from my care. Mm. And um, I cried out to God. From the moment I cried out to God 19 years ago, almost 19 years ago, Mm -hmm. I never had enough of these ideas to use drugs, alcohol, oh, you smoke a cigarette.
0: He instantly delivered me. He fully delivered you from the desire for something that you were... Addicted to for nineteen years, and you said you cried out to God. Well, how did you? What do you mean by you cried out to God? Because you said that you didn't really understand it a God. Prayer.
1: It was I. Cr- it, I said, God, I don't know if you listen to people like me, but if you do, please help me. It was as simple as
0: that. Look at that. People sometimes make it seem like you need this in depth oh prayer to connect with God. You just said, "Help me, God, help me,"
1: and that's what I mean by Paul. Yes. See. I got to my point where I was the woman with the issue of blood. Mm. And those for those of you that don't know, Jesus was out preaching as he did. And there was this woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. When you say issue of blood, explain. It, what, what issue it, of blood means nonstop. She kept bleeding to the point where... And, and, and you got to understand how in jerusalem and in Israel, in those days, you are cast out because of this defect mm-hmm. so because when a woman was bleeding, she couldn't lay with her husband, she couldn't go to the temple, she couldn't do anything now, this woman had a issue of blood like they she couldn't she was she was cast out just as I was because of my issues. Right. Mm -hmm. And just like her, I knew, I always knew there was a God.
0: If only I could just get to him. Because he felt like he didn't listen to people like you. If only I could get to him. But you didn't know how to get to him.
1: No, but I knew if I did and how I got to him was as simple as calling his name.
0: But you had faith the whole time that if you could just get to him, you would be saved. Just like that woman. I saved I was made whole instantly, just as she was. Wow. That is so powerful. He's the same God. Yes. Yesterday, today,
1: and tomorrow.
0: Yes. He never changes. Yes.
1: So the reason why Noah knew that there was a God, because he already demonstrated it in, in, in different ways. So let me give you a couple couple things that happened to me while I lived on the streets that God showed up. Okay, so I used to rip people off. Hmm. Surprise! Right? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not, like you were like really yeah. you're, you're a crackhead <laughs> you are cracking and rip people off. Kind of, come, kind of come with the term, right? Just, right? I'm right? Quiet, right? <laughs> There's a class That's you have to true. take when you're cracking to rip people off. I <laughs> passed uh, with flying colors. But um, So I used to rip people off. And I never remember who I ripped off. And when I say rip people off, I mean, you know, the pocketbooks and, and also like these guys will come and say, hey, let me give you this amount of money and you go buy the crack and come back with the drugs and then we're going to have sex and smoke. Well, um oh, wow. no, <laughs> I'm gonna go get the drug and I ain't gonna come back. Right. <laughs> so so I used to do that a lot. Cause you know, they would be like scared to go get the drugs. Of course. They don't want to be seen. And right. Like, All right, I got you, I got you. Okay. So one night I was out tricking. And for those of you that don't know what tricking is, I was out prostituting. So I was out and the guy, you know, in this white van pulls up and it's like it's always a white van, isn't it?
0: That's super oh, sketchy. <laughs> like, that's not when you're cracking. It's not sketchy. It's like, perfect. This is perfect. Oh my god. Well, I guess you're right. That would be. That would be perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: <not> perfect. White <laughs> man, okay. Um. So I'm out, right? And so this guy pulls up, and he said, "You working?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And I jump in the van, right? So he takes me to this wooded area, and we start to walk down this path. It's dead of night. And w- the further we get back in the past, he's path on the path, he started talking to me. He was like, You remember me? And I was like, No, he said, you don't remember ripping me and my cousin off. And I said, No. And I knew what's coming. So he he raped me over and over again. He beat me. And he started to strangle me. And in the midst of the strangulation, I passed out somewhere. And it and when I opened up my eyes. He was straddled over me with a boulder. Are you ready to crush my skull? And God opened up my eyes and time enough for me to say one thing. I said, Jesus. Mm. And he fell back off of me like a wind pushed him off of me, picked me up, took me back to the van. He said, I don't have any money, but take my watch. Like he was in a trance. Yes. And even though I went back to the streets, that's my stuff off. I always tell people this. God was always with me. He knew one day I would cry out to him mm-hmm. and I would and I will proclaim, proclaim, proclaim his powers and his, his goodness. But I was out prostituting and I, I wasn't on the corners praising God, telling people, give your life to Christ. Mm-hmm. So I would trick it. And I'll and from that moment, I always knew that there was a God, and he cared about you, and he cared about me, and I knew the power of the name of Jesus. Yes. And another way he I was I knew: I used to shoot drugs in 1989, and I used to have track marks all over my body from shooting, and I used to have I used to shoot up my hands,' be black from shooting in my veins. Mm-hmm. But I used to shoot up with people that I knew had AIDS, full blown AIDS. Really, they would take the needle out their arms, draw the drugs up, and so they were literally like pushing HIV into my body. Yes, Jesus always kept me from catching it because wow. He knew one day He'll give me a daughter that I will raise healthy, and I need to be healthy to do His work. God, they so would good. take. Will hit their blood still in the height. Mm-hmm. Pull up the drugs and put it in my vein. You are perfect. There was no way to, to not catch it.
0: Right. That's literally how you... That's how you catch it. it. Yes. Yes. And Jesus right there. Wow. Protecting you all Protecting this time and using you for his glory. Using you for his glory. So you had your baby in prison. I had my baby. Or you I went didn't to have a, a
1: baby. Well, I, th- I got out of prison to go to a program, another God thing we will have time for that. Maybe a second part, two part two.
0: Well, I do want to. I do want you to tell us about that, okay? Because you you cried out to God. I cried out to God while God. you were pregnant because while of the fact pregnant. that you wanted to make sure you kept your baby. I, right?
1: I, I wanted to keep my baby. I didn't know how. I didn't know what. You know. So I had to go. So there was a program that I had to go to, mm-hmm. but you had to be eligible for parole. Okay. I was, one of my charges was violation of parole. <laughs> okay. And God made that happen. Look at God; He made that happen. Uh-huh. And I, I go to this program, and it works on my trauma, my addiction, my mental. health. But it was more so a place for me to continue my relationship with God. It wasn't a Christian program, but what they said was, if you have a faith, they encourage. But so from the moment I got up off that concrete floor and mm-hmm. the, my prison cell, I felt different. I started going to all the Bible studies. I started to, to just read the Word of God and what what I really started to understand I understand who Jesus the reason Jesus was came, a reason why Jesus took on flesh. explain you know I I, I started to understand that I started understand grace and where grace cam, came from. Grace is something we can't earn, we cannot buy, we don't deserve. Grace was God coming in the flesh to take on the responsibility of sin and take it to the cross to be crucified, sin, and conquer death so we can call him Father, so we can have relations, so he can forgive our sins. And so when I understood who Jesus was, Jesus was the sacrificial lamb of God. Yes, This is when everything changed for me. If there's nothing I can do to earn God's love, I ain't the smartest cookie in a bunch. But what I realized was, there's that must mean there's nothing I can do to stop it.
0: That's right.
1: And when I took on that, my whole life changed. Immediately. Immediately. I was saving souls in in the cells. I would say, come on, come on, let's talk about Jesus. All you got to do is, is believe. Yeah, You believe? Yes. I was doing that before I even left prison.
0: That's so wonderful. I got
1: baptized because I knew what baptism represented. Right. While I was pregnant in prison. Wow. at that. And I went to the program and God just, my
0: life just spiraled. Something that was so beautiful that I heard you say was that even you being in that program— you were the only person in that program that was actually incarcerated. Yeah. That program yeah. wasn't for. That was a God thing. Like,
1: so because I w- couldn't be eligible
0: for parole, mm-hmm. they
1: they allowed me to go as an inmate. Incredible. It's insane.
0: Incredible. So
1: what happened was every day during count time, the prisoner would call and say, Tonya Kane's still there. They say, yeah, she's still here. They put her on the phone so we can hear her. I get on the phone to add me into the count. And because I was the ward of state, mm-hmm. I was an inmate, and I was pregnant, every week they had to come get me, take me to prison to get my OBGYN checkup because I couldn't go to the doctor uh-huh. because I was the ward of state. But let me tell you how God works. Let me tell you how God works. <laughs> so I get excited about my Jesus, I'm telling you. So... I'm in this I'm in this program. Everybody go out on their walks. I can't go. I'm I'm a I'm an inmate. I'm mm-hmm. still an inmate, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm in this community program, right? And I they that one Friday. Now mind you, before I left the pro before I left prison, they allowed me to go in front of the parole board. Okay. And the parole board was like she can't I can't give her parole? Of
0: course.
1: (laughs) It was like... Yeah. She's never successfully completed probation or parole. (laughs) And one of her charges is violation of parole. There's no way I can recommend parole for her. Of course. And that's what he said. Of course. He said, I don't know what they're going to do, but I can't give you parole. (laughs) I'm going to tell you what I did. I went back to myself. Now, mind you, I was going Bible study Saturday morning, 30 morning, and and this Saturday morning, I'm going, and I am I go, and I'm listening to the Bible study. They When I walk in, they gave me a pamphlet. I was so—I had so much anxiety at that point because I knew I was getting close. I was eight months pregnant, mm-hmm. and I knew I was getting, bur- getting close to giving birth, and I knew if I gave birth, I'll never get my daughter back. Mm. So I was anxious about that. But I walked in— they gave me a pamphlet. I was still going to Bible study. They gave me a pamphlet. I never looked at. It. Never looked at. It. I just sat down and I'm going through the motions of Bible study. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Version. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Writing down everything. And I'm walking back to, I'm in prison. I'm walking back to my housing. Huge housing. Now I go into my cell. I go into the building. They whoop, open up my door. I go into my door. It's a prison. It's just a real prison. The only women's prison in Maryland. I go in, I have the bottom bump because I'm pregnant. My roommate, she works in the kitchen. She was never there because when you work in the kitchen, you are a slave to the kitchen in the prison. Oh, wow. <laughs> they work you like you are on some high plantation.
0: Wow, I always thought that was like a privilege to be in the like in the kitchen.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, a privilege if you were okay with working twelve hours and in, right. in, in around oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean I guess for some people, for me, I thought it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But so I go in. I take this pamphlet. I never look at. It. I put it on my roommate' top bunk just to sit it there because I'm. I have so much. So, because when the door shut, oh my god, here we go. I'm not. I'm not hearing anything. So I stand there and I look out the little window out into the like the 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 room where the officer up in a bubble, and I'm just looking out there. Mm-hmm. And I have so much anxiety at this point. And I'm standing like this, and the bump is behind me, and I'm just standing there, and I, I'm, I'm, like, full of anxiety. And, and all of a sudden, I felt something. And, and, you know, when you feel something, my reaction was to do like this, like to mm-hmm. whatever's coming, to stop it. And I did like this. God, as my witness, the pamphlet, Landed in my hand. Oh, wow. Now, I can say maybe the window was open, but what window is in prison? You right. tell me. Right. You've never you been to a prison cell. It you ain't know. got no for real windows, right? So, ain't no wind.
0: <laughs> not that kind of
1: wind. Not the that, not that type of wind. <laughs> you and when I did like this, the pamphlet, and when I, I pulled it around, and on the front of the pamphlet, it said, Be still. Wow. Not long after that I heard, Kane, pack up you going to the Tamar Children program.
0: Wow, that is so wonderful. And and there is when they were able to treat your trauma. Yes. But to get this.
1: When I look, so I go to there and I'm there for two weeks and I'm I'm a prisoner. And one Friday they call me to the office. Tony, I'm thinking it's Countdown. they called me down there. And they say, You got a phone call. And I get on the phone, I say hello, and they say, Hello, Tonir, this is, I forgot who it was. Uh, you are now officially on parole. I never went back and took front of the parole board. Get this. What? They sent my papers. Everybody signed off on my parole papers okay. the same day. Get this. My classification officer,
0: okay.
1: the warden,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the commissioner. The commissioners downtown and in Baltimore, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Your father sits on his desk for six oh, yeah. weeks. Mm-hmm. Everybody signed off on it the same day. It was like somebody wow. this person. And when that person got in the car and yep. went downtown, that's what happened.
0: Because angels work and for guess, you. And
1: guess what? The next day, mm-hmm. I go into labor and was able to have my daughter in a regular hospital bed and not the prison ward. Wow.
0: What a miracle. That is a miracle. To God, all of the glory. All of the glory. Everything that I needed, I was able to get from this program.
1: I had someone to help me to understand parenthood, you know, helping me to form a secure attachment with my child. I didn't know how to be a mother. You know, I know how to give birth to a baby. And then she said, it's time to work on your children. No. I said, no. How do you heal? From something that's still going on. Okay, my mother didn't love me as a child. She didn't show me love. Okay, 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 that happened. That was then. I was raped, I was hurt, I was beat, I was raped, I was hurt, I was beat. Okay, that's happening no more. But my children are still living. They're still walking this earth somewhere and I know nothing about them. How do you heal from that? And she said, you do. But not by yourself. So I had to talk about my daughter when she was only 10 days old. And when they came in, they, they took her away from me and they put me in jail. And what, the way did my son look when they grabbed him? And he was crying, mommy, don't let them take me. I had to remember that. I have to remember my son.
0: Now, one thing that I talk about a lot on my channel, I discuss femininity, womanhood, just learning how to care for yourself as a woman. One thing I am very... Adamant about talking about is the Lord, and how no matter what you try to change, mm-hmm. no real change will ever happen without Christ, without Jesus in your life. Mm-hmm. Hearing from you, I think, will be powerful because it's important to be able to see yourself and someone else. And all, all of us have had different issues. We don't rank them as being more traumatic than the other. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. But
0: you, you being in a situation where you've experienced this level of trauma, mm-hmm. Where does a person start? If, if there's a woman out there who has been raped or who is pregnant right now from a rape or who has had trauma from the, the state or anywhere, really, where do they start when it comes to the healing process?
1: Everything starts with the word and ends with the word, you know? And I, what I suggest is prayer and just read the word of God. Ask God to help you to understand it. Final Bible study, if you could. That's a teaching, uh, a a Bible teaching church. Mm-hmm. I'm a one hour power type person. I okay. went to a church the other night. It, we were there for six hours. That
0: uh, what? Okay, well, that's normal in some places. Like I'm from Ghana, West Africa. Church is like eight hours, no joke. But here, it's.
1: That's that's why y'all
0: get delivered the way y'all do. <laughs> You're right. That's why, that's We're not why, leaving until this demon comes out. That's why, that's why that's why
1: y'all get that's why the people live in the villages over there and even that they don't have them, they're the happiest people in the world. That's, right. that's why we over here, we use something different. We got internet, you know. So I'm like mm-hmm. I need one hour, pal. Like, <laughs> I I love the Lord. Mm -hmm. But, so, my thing is be careful who you're learning the word from. It's so important. I learned the word from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit. Same with me. I suggest people, because it is so much mess out here.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: God... He says, knock and the door will be open. Ask and it will be given. Mm-hmm. I think that churches are good for networking and finding your, you know, your your people to keep you shopping on, shopping's on, keep you uplifted. And But your relationship with God is your relationship with God. And it should begin with God. Absolutely. That's, that's I don't so believe that people relationship should begin in the churches with God. I believe it should begin with God
0: and if you don't know the word of God,
1: there's so many translation, so many translations to understand the Bible. Now you can go.
0: And now, and not now, but and in addition to that, it's it's a different revelation when you have the Holy Spirit inside exactly. of you. He will teach you. The Bible will not be the same. The
1: holy, you know what I tell people because I, I I work out a lot. I do a lot because I'm real big on wellness after trauma, mm-hmm. and um. I tell people, look, think about exercise. Like over, When you exercise constantly, mm-hmm. your body can't do anything but change. <laughs> right. When you're reading the Word of God, you can't do anything but change and grow. The Holy Spirit will not allow you to stay the same. And over time, and it's a journey. I'm a t- I tell people all the time, give yourself a break because they, all, they think they need to come and sanctify and holy and mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. I tell people, I left the altar and I was still a hoe. I had to go through different processes of being delivered from different things. And I think that we we get so caught up in with the, the Pharisees to say, well, you got to do this, 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 or this. or you're not, you know, you're not a Christian. This. Mm-hmm. You are a Christian. If you profess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you believe that he was crucified for your sins, that you're a sinner. He was crucified for your sin. And you invite him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. And you believe he was resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father on your behalf. The word of God says you are saved. That's right. That's it. That's it. And if anybody out there teaching, you, shame on their soul. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we need to start getting real as women. So I have a, a show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's called, you know, Hats Off. Okay. And it's exactly that. Uh-huh. It's time to take the big hats off and get real.
0: Right. Because it is important when you are in Christ to be able to have a, a, a church, or a pastor that, you know, is... Bible teaching right, right, and right. can direct you and lead you because it is important to it's gather. It's important
1: to, for us to get real with what's going on. Yes. Let's talk about how we really, admit that husbands get on your nerves. Let's talk about mm-hmm. how awful the kids are mm-hmm. sometimes. Ain't nobody keep, y'all keep putting the pictures up on your kids talking about my sweet child and you know, dog <laughs> on way he terrorizing the whole neighborhood. That's right. You know what I mean? City talking like, talking, getting real. My child terrorizing the neighborhood and I'm scared. And it's important. We're not talking about that. Yeah. And now we're seeing a whole bunch of kids killing their parents. And a whole bunch of parents killing their kids. Because we as as members of the churches, we're not talking about masturbation. We're not talking about Thank but, you. We're not talking about porn. We're not Thank you. I was Thank I you. went from one to next to next. I went from being a hoe to the to the porn to the masturbation. Mm-hmm. I I had to cry out to God in every single area of my life. And I still need to be del- delivered in a lot of areas in my life. And we need to stop hiding behind these hats and acting like everything is everything is
0: so Thank you. We need to
1: get real.
0: <laughs> this is something I've been talking a lot about. A lot we about because I'm bus- tired of it. Right. I'm tired, I'm of, tired it. of it. I'm tired of it. And people, come on now, we're not getting better. Yeah. I do have one last question for you. Being as though you've gone through all of these different things, how did you learn to forgive all of the people who have hurt you? Through Jesus. I didn't know. Do- do- do-
1: do- I got $6 and $4,000. $5,000. 5000 not here. Not here. Yeah. I and you know what? I love like all them. But the you know what? I would say that would be the, the best mama. So I, was, I was never be the best mama. You know
0: what
1: I I did my kids wrong. They got two from me. It's a motion.
0: This
1: is my son. Come here, come here, baby. This is my younger son. His name like is Monterey. I love like you good. How y'all doing? I ain't never done anything for him. Come here. Yeah, she did. She gave me life. No, no, no. I said that. I love you, baby. I love you, too. Look at him. ain't he handsome. Black man. <laughs> Believe me. I love you, baby. I love you, too. I love you. I, love you. I love you. Stop it. All no, right. No. Yeah. No. And that's her door. Yeah. It's cold out here.
0: She <laughs> can't talking to me. Huh? Don't coat. I know
1: it's okay, she it is. Anyway. Put it on. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: put it on. Stop it. Oh, shut up. No, I ain't. Now
1: shut the fuck me, up. do you want me to shut up? You just come. to get you covered. I know. There you go. Here. Let the go. camera get dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Call it Bye, Bye. Bye. You can't stay this time of it. You know what? I don't like him, but I love him. That motherfucker too smart. I'll tell you what. I don't like him, but I love him. Because he's a smart bitch. You ready to go home? Yeah.
0: Can you just put a sister? Six seven.
1: Okay, Good night. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: And have a nice gift, And you have a nice day. Nice
1: Bye, baby. I love y'all. I love you Come back in. I'm gonna do that with my daughter. Being have to be picked up in the evening. Oh, oh, oh! oh. oh. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm just not gonna. Move. Oh. Maybe we should do a trauma training for the cab company. Here we go. All
0: right. Tony is an amazing woman. A passionate advocate great leader in the field, an amazing speaker. We've known each other for five years, back when I first met Tony, when she was at the Women's House of Correction in Jessup, and she was pregnant out here. She now, as of yesterday, officially has become the team leader for the newly funded National Center for Trauma-Informed Care, which we could see. a joy to be with and when you hear her story I think you're going to be absolutely as moved as I am every time I hear her as well. So for that my friend Tonya King.
1: Thank you Good afternoon everyone, I'm so thrilled to be here in New York City I'm down at the Maryland Correctional Institution for Women for violation of parole and I'm pregnant and I'm terrified that I'm about to lose another child <laughs> And I remember running around and telling people about my fears. I don't want to lose my baby and and I'm a happy baby. And they were telling me about this program called Ted Marsh Children. Well, they said, you know, it works on your trauma. I said, well, I don't know what that is, but I know I got it. And and it works on your addiction. I said, well, that's a given. Your mental health, yup, I'm crazy. You recover and you keep your baby with you. Perfect program for me, right? I was keeping my baby. And the first thing that someone said to me when I got to this program, the first session I had, my therapist told me, everything that happened to you as a child happened to you, you didn't do to yourself. And I believed. And we started to work. See, because you good folks, you know, substance abuse, some even some judges, even parole and probation, try to help me, try to give me some some tools on how to live. But you know, the good information was only surface. It couldn't get where it needed to get for me to, to get it rooted so I can build a foundation and grow, grow from. So my belief system can change from I am nothing to I am somebody and I can be anything I want in this world. down there where it needed to be. My therapist, her first task was to allow, help me to feel safe. Because without feeling safe, there was no healing for me. Everything that I needed, I was able to get from this program. I had someone to help me to understand parenthood. You know, helping me to form a secure attachment with my child. I didn't know how to be a mother. You know, I know how to give birth to a baby. And then she said, it's time to work on your children. No. I said, no. How do you heal from something that's still going on? Okay. My mother didn't love me as a child. She didn't show me love. Okay. 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 That happened. That was then. I was raped. I was hurt. I was beat. I was raped. I was hurt. I was beat. Okay. That's happening no more. But my children are still living. They're still walking this earth somewhere and I know nothing about them. How do you heal from that? And she said, you do. But not by yourself. So I had to talk about my daughter when she was only 10 days old. And when they came in, they, they took her away from me and they put me in jail. And where did my son looked when they grabbed him? And he was fine, mommy, don't let them take me. I had to remember that. I had to remember my son being picked up for the weekend and never brought back. Forgiveness has nothing to do with letting a person off the hook. You know that. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is letting yourself off the hook. Mm -hmm. You know, this side is good. Mm -hmm. And I don't want anybody holding me hostage. I don't want to hold myself hostage from what's on this side. And so... Forgiveness comes from my relationship with Jesus. I I really, truly believe that people only can truly forgive, freely forgive, because of their relationship with Christ Jesus. Because when you understand all that God got to forgive you for, (laughs) and you have no right to hold somebody else accountable when you want God not to hold you accountable, Mm -hmm. it's easy to forgive. I forgive.
0: That's wonderful. And I live, and it's joy from that. It's peace from that. Yes. You know. and God will take care of everything else. You don't they have to worry up. about getting everyone back. And if they're going to get theirs, hey, the man, Lord. David
1: was David was crucified.
0: he was like God. I want you to go.
1: I want you to string up the whole family. Yep. David was like, "Look, yep. go and, and crucify the gender, their sons, their sons, and their sons."
0: David was like, <laughs> "David was like, kill them all." The Lord will work on your behalf. He, his I mean, enemies, your enemies are his enemies. His. It vengeance belongs to the Lord.
1: Where she's being loved, where I own my own home, she's been given the opportunity to go to a private school where she'll get the best education. You know, she's being hugged all the time and and told that she's loved and worthwhile. She would never know what it's like to be hungry or to wait for somebody to be able to get money to feed her. Treating my trauma totally broke that intergeneration curse. I'm told that she's conditioned by her environment, she adjusts to, to what she's learned. And if that's the case, then she will be able to give her children what she was given, you know, so that curse been broken. And we begin to look at a different cycle and our generation path from here on out.
0: Well, tell us just where to find you and what you're doing now because you're now training facilities and governments Mm -hmm. on trauma and not re-traumatizing people who have already been traumatized due to all the trauma you went through being in the system and in places that were supposed to protect you. Mm-hmm. So your advocacy is such an inspiration. Your whole story, your whole life is such well, an inspiration. Well, yes. Yeah, Tell so us where to find you.
1: So I have worked at every state in that country, including Alaska and Hawaii training providers on how, to, like you said, not to re-traumatize, how to understand the impact of trauma and what it takes to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my training company, um, Taneer Kane International. I'm a publisher. I have a publishing house, um, the, T- Tenere, um, the TCI publishing house. Um, Purpose Entertainment Entertain is my production company. I have two television shows and a film in production. <gasps> wow. Um, I'm an author. Uh, my latest book is Relationship After Trauma. It talks about how to. It's a guidebook to help you to to um to obtain and maintain healthy relationships after trauma, and you work through it with a journal. I uh, have a skincare line, um, and I just your skin is beautiful. And and you know, I in two two 2020, I figured if you have skincare line, you might as well open up stores, right? Yeah. And so it's like so, I um, yeah, I just everything that I do. Everything that I do comes back to who God is mm-hmm. and what God can do, and um, so yeah, I um, and so I have right. a nonprofit. We provide free services for trauma survivors. Wow! In the world, I'm known in 60 countries for my work. I have days named after me by governors and mayors. And and 18 years ago, they told me I'll never get better. That I was mentally ill and that there was no hope for me. But there is hope in Christ Jesus. There is hope.
0: There is hope. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing your well, story. Thank you, for having- you are so beautiful. You are such an inspiration. And I know that this is gonna bless so many people when that. they hear your story. Thank you for having me. Of course. And thank you for watching. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.